Welcome to the Women in Family Law podcast. I'm Hannah Markham, the chair of the association. Women in Family Law connects, encourages and promotes professional women across the field of family law in England and Wales. We offer advice, support and mentoring. And of course, these podcasts. So welcome to the Women in Family Law podcast. And I'm absolutely delighted today to be joined by Katie Radin, who's a member of the board of Women in Family Law and very importantly has got her own firm, made a real mark in opening so many offices that I can't even tell you where they all are. So I may have to rely on Katie to tell me where she's based now. I just think it's testament to her as a stellar businesswoman to have done this. So go on, Katie, tell us where you're based now. Thank you, Suzanne. Um, Today, I'm sitting in our Loughton office, which opened two weeks ago. We've opened in Bishop's Talkford this year, and this now complements our offices in St Albans, Berkhamsted, Beaconsfield and Hampstead. And then we have another office opening next month. So that will take us to eight. Wow. So it really is sort of world domination, I would say, in the sphere in which you're working, having trained, I think, in central London and had this sort of idea of going to work outside London. Do you want to just tell the listeners a bit about that in terms of your career path? Because I think it's interesting. So um, I started in a, a small law firm called Sears Tooth in Mayfair which is a boutique specialist family law firm, which is very litigious and was quite a baptism of fire as a trainee. And then I moved to Farrers in Holborn. I was there for nine years and it wasn't litigious and the emphasis was on settlement and resolving things in a, in a way that would suit everyone by agreement. And then um, I was looking, for, looking ahead at my div- business development and where my clients come from. And I realised that most of my contacts and my clients probably weren't the Farrer's client template. And so I decided to set up a a law firm of my own using the litigious skills I'd learned from Sears Tooth and the collaborative skills I'd learned from Farrer's to present a service for people who weren't living in London who might not necessarily want to go to a magic circle firm with a John Adams lampshade or whatever flagstones um, fans will tell you about, or, or even a, a large firm in the city. So we, we provide family law advice to people in commuter distance, in commuter towns, essentially. We have an office in Hampstead, which I appreciate is in London, but it's in a community. It's Hampstead's a little village. It's MW3. It's a community of people. And... Um, that's it really we've been going for 17 years and we now have 40 solicitors and so continuing to go from strength to strength and I hope that continues in the future I'm really intrigued by our topic today because most people come onto the podcast and just tell me about their career which is of course very interesting but you want to talk about how getting it wrong can be a good thing and so I just want to start off with analysing that and perhaps the starting off point being are you actually wrong so asking that question so tell us a bit about your thoughts in respect of that well as we've just started the podcast I've told everybody about what a great success my firm is and it's quite easy sometimes to carry on talking about how successful and 
correct you are on all things. And I would be controversial to say that actually solicitors are told we are wrong all the time. When you do a letter to the other side and say, we'd like to start divorce proceedings on the basis of your client's unreasonable behavior, some firms will come back and say, no, you're wrong. It's your client who's the unreasonable behavior. We then go before um, a con with counsel and counsel might say, some, some counsel are, are more subtle and they, they don't say, you've got it wrong. They said, what I think you mean is such and such. And of course you were right, but you won't forget that case of we, whatever, that was heard last week. And so <clears throat> I think solicitors are quite often told they're wrong um, all the time. And I, I feel that we're, it's quite an emotionally resilient job to have. And then clients say they're wrong often as well. When a client comes to you and says, um, I shouldn't have to pay my wife any maintenance because she committed adultery and it's all her fault. Or a wife says, well, why should I pay him anything? Because he's done nothing during the marriage. And you try and explain to her, well, that's, that's the whole reason why he is going to get some money, money because he is useless. They think morally that's wrong. And so not only are we dealing with people telling us we're wrong as lawyers, but then also having to explain to clients that the, whether they think the law is wrong or not, that doesn't matter. So I think everybody can be wrong or nobody can be wrong. It's, it's all a question of perspective. And also, I think quite often there are misconceptions that are propagated by the press, for example, the common law spouse. Yes. And so people come to us all the time and they say, well, I'm a common law wife. And you yeah. have to unpick that. So I think that's a, quite a difficult job for us. And also we deal with people in very high conflict. Yes. My, my previous boss, Raymond, used to, used to say to the clients, and I think he still does, you will not be bullied by your husband anymore. I will tell you what to do. And that, I mean, that's one way of doing, dealing with it. But I, I do think another approach would be to try and bring your client along with you and help them to understand the law and how it's evolved. And if you don't like it, well, let's see how we can make it work for you. Yeah, I totally agree. So let's presuppose, and I'm not talking about you here, but let's presuppose that a mistake has been made. What is your advice to a solicitor if they feel that they may have made a mistake? I, my key bit of advice is I cannot think of any mistake that won't have been done by somebody else beforehand. Misdating something, sending papers to the other side that contain your offer or thoughts. Everybody has made a mistake. And if somebody has told you they haven't made a mistake, well, they're lying or they haven't found out about it. So um, that would be my first, first message. You can't tell people not to make mistakes. What you can do is show them the pathway, what to do when they've made a mistake. So I think the first step is to tell someone. Ideally, you'd be in a firm where you've got a supportive network and you can talk to your compliance officer and the partner involved. But if you haven't got that network, tell somebody because the, wor the worst thing that can happen is that you lose sleep. You lose sleep over a decree absolute being applied for a bit too early before the pension sharing order. Well, you know, that has happened before in the past. There are steps that can be taken, but if you don't tell anyone and you don't have any sleep and you get worried about it, then it makes things worse. 
And indeed, one of the avenues, I suppose, is that we have a mentoring scheme in women in family law, and that's something that you head up. And if you had made a mistake, you could, if there wasn't anybody else to speak to, you could think about speaking to a mentor, somebody who'd be happy to mentor you and help you through some of the issues. That may be one way of dealing with it. Yeah, that would be a great idea as well. Because everybody, particularly on the mentoring scheme, they're there to help. So they're not sitting there judging you for calling you, for calling them up. They're, they're sitting there because they've agreed to be your mentor and to provide some advice. So they are expecting you to ask, ask for help. So if we can sort of take it from the macro level to a more personal level, are you able or are you willing to confess your worst mistake as a junior? I'm going, yes, I will tell you, it's, it's not a big mistake, but I think it was one of the more stupid things I did. Um, and I, I'll tell you about it because I think it's important because at the time it was awful. So I was doing a court hearing. I was against Deborah Bangay QC. We were going to argue for costs on behalf of our client. And I'd done all my prep work and I'd scored loads of brownie points within the team because I was going to go up against a silk. I was fully prepped and the hearing was adjourned. And then it was set aside for the following week. And I completely misread the time of the hearing. And so the hearing was, the second hearing was listed at 10 o'clock and I turned up at half past 11, by which time Deborah Bangay had earned the easiest money in her life. She'd walked home to court, I hadn't turned up, and the, my application for costs was dismissed. I was hoping to get £2,500 for my client, and I didn't. It, it was absolutely mortifying. I had to go to the judge and apologise. I had to bring my client and apologise. I had to tell my team and apologise. And it was absolutely excruciating and it happened probably 25 years ago I'm still blushing because I still can't quite understand how I missed it but the outcome is that on a case that was worth tens and tens of thousands of pounds this two and a half grand became lost in the mix she got her money costs another way I got rightly told to check my diary better and I, I personally have far more systems in place so now I can look back and say it wasn't really a big mistake but it doesn't help the 25 year old me knocking on the door and explaining to the partner that no it didn't go well because I actually didn't turn up and so I mean I'm sure I've made loads and loads of other mistakes since then and I'll continue but I, did, I thought that was quite a good example of something that I really was, I'm still really embarrassed about it, but it's a mistake that other people will make, make as well. Well, I'm really grateful to you for sharing that because I think it does, it is important for people to understand that we are all fallible, we all make mistakes. And so being able to talk through that is really important. And it does make you put the systems in place that you need to. And I can remember from being a very junior solicitor, the partner I was working for at the time, having this system of going through all the files on a Friday afternoon and just checking that everything was up to date. We knew where we were. We knew what we were doing for the next week. And that's still something that I have in my head. And it means that you catch 
any of those carpet files, as I call them. I know now we're all electronic, but there was a time when we used to have files all over the place. And there may be one that may have been on the carpet that you hadn't looked at. But having that sort of system in place is so helpful. So I think lessons learned. What about when council gets it wrong? Yeah, so having started the podcast by saying, I think solicitors are emotionally resilient, I'm now going to compound my controversy by talking about council, because they can get it wrong. And I wouldn't mind actually hearing your views on this as well, Suzanne, because as you get more senior, you ask advice from council, and sometimes you don't agree with the advice. And that's a challenge. And my personal view is that I say to them, well, an opposing point of view is such and such, or I had thought of that point, but I think there's a case that actually militates against it. And I don't think council like it, but I think that's our job, isn't it? To try and work together. I think it is. And in fact, I think in other areas of the law, in litigation, there's much more of a culture of that, of debating and discussing and not just simply taking as read what somebody more senior or external counsel say. And I think it is important to do that. One of the issues that I found, though, is it's more difficult to do that via Zoom. Because if you're debating things in a room, it somehow feels less controversial and you're there and you can read the body language more easily, etc. And so... I quite often say, a bit like you, well, I just wonder if we can just talk about this point. This is something that's concerning me. And putting it back on the agenda and having a more thorough discussion, I think sometimes really works. But it is tricky to do that in a Zoom conference. And so that's one of the things I think we've lost in this more virtual world. And the other thing that's more difficult is when you're in court and if you think council's gone off track, or has missed the point that the judge has made, sometimes the, the, the blessed um, post-it notes were really helpful and you could poke them in the back and give them a post-it note and you watch them read it. Whereas now when we've got Zoom, we've got WhatsApp methods. We, we have two WhatsApp groups. We normally have council, uh, legal team only WhatsApp group and we have one with the client. And I'm, I'm not surprised council missed some, some of my notes sometimes because it, the WhatsApp is churning through. And so I find it quite difficult in court sometimes to sort of correct. The only good thing about Zoom hearings is council can sometimes say, could I take a few moments to take instructions? And then you can get your point across. But it's a definite new challenge. Yes, and in fact, I've quite liked in a couple of the hearings I've done recently where council specifically references the WhatsApp groups. They say, oh, I can see I've got a lot of WhatsApps coming in. So I wonder whether we may take a break and for me to review this and do that. And judges are always very amenable to that. But if you felt that council had got something wrong, how would you discuss it with them? Well, it depends what they've got wrong. If, from my perspective, the way counsel gets it wrong most of the time is if they upset my client. I don't tend to get barristers getting the law wrong because most of the, we've discussed it beforehand, that when they tend to get it wrong with the client, that, that's the most challenging thing. And sometimes I will step in and be far more directive and say, I think you've misunderstood what the father is actually saying. And I really think we should listen to him on this point. Or I don't think the father understood, more often it's, I don't think the father has understood that concept 
could you explain it again? That's when I think council gets it wrong. And ultimately, if they're not giving the right empathy to the client, I might drop them a line afterwards, but ultimately I'll just vote with my feet and change council. I haven't had my council getting it wrong in court because I think that's our responsibility to try and pull it back, as you say, with the WhatsApp groups or not. And also to make sure that you're fully prepped before a court hearing and having conferences before everybody's on the same page. But what if you felt that you needed to escalate it? Would you ever talk to the clerks? Yes, that would be a top tip for every every member of women in family law, of every um, seniority. Get to know your clerks and get to know your chambers. You know, get to know the fourth junior and the first junior and the senior clerk because the relationship with your clerk, with the chambers clerk, is one really important one. They'll tell you which barrister to use. When there's been a mistake on a file, they will help you sort it. And I have had cases where I have been let down by a barrister. I've spoken to the clerk. And because ultimately what you want is the solution for your client. And what the clerk then does is, don't worry, I will get someone on board, right away, Catherine. And then the new barrister comes in, gives you some the different advice, gives you a different strategy. And who knows what happens with the fees, but the clerk sort it out. But it's a two-way thing. So the clerks need to know that you've got their backs and then they will have your backs as well. Because ultimately, we're all working to resolve this for our clients. Yeah, and I I totally agree. It's a brilliant top tip. Getting to know the clerks is absolutely crucial. What happens if the court gets it? So I wanted to talk about this as well. So every time I lose a case, obviously, I think the judge has got it wrong. That's my initial reaction. But the way the appeal system has worked out, has has developed, um, they do emphasise that it's really difficult to get an appeal off the ground and the discretionary nature of matrimonial law makes it really difficult. So if you think the court got it wrong, I think the best thing to do, and you should know if you've got an appeal, but the best thing to do is speak to a barrister. And I'm I'm quite a passionate um, supporter of the dual bar but particularly when it comes to reassessing what's just happened in court. I've never, I don't think I've ever gone to appeal without the support of my counsel, because counsel will say, well, I know you feel really strongly about this, Catherine, but the judge was applying the law as it is at the moment. Let's work on a different solution. And so whilst obviously the judge has got it wrong if they think your client is a tow rag and you think he's a really lovely person, but... Again, it comes down to emotional resilience. We can't win all of them all of the time. No. And what about any hearings or thoughts you've got on any cases that have been to appeal recently? Well, yes, because what I was going to say is that even if... I had one case that I was appealed because we won too well. We, We did really well in court and my counsel said, you know, actually, I think we've done too well and the other side are going to appeal it. And so... Uh, we had to, we, and we, she was right. And so we did compromise it and we settled it. So sometimes, even when you're right, that's not the correct answer because you've got to settle it. And then I, all I was going to mention is when people tell you how they always win a case, we've had quite a few cases go to the Supreme Court recently. And I haven't had time to actually tell you which the ratio was, but I do know that in Vincent Wyatt and Villiers, Somewhere through the process between the High Court and the Court of Appeal, we were advising clients one way, 
And then when it went from the Court of Appeal to the Supreme Court, we went to the other. And I know that in Vincent Wyatt, we had a long talk about uh, time-limited applications and, what, and that's all gone. And in Villiers, um, the Court of Appeal. And so even when you think you've won, A, you might, not have, you might have won too well, or B, you might lose in the end. And I would say the appeal is not always the right route because it costs a fortune. And I mean, with me, I think with, with both Vince and what Vince and Wyatt and Villiers, there was a principle at stake and somebody was willing to fund that principle discussion. But for normal clients, even if you think the court's got it wrong, maybe the answer is to think about it from a different direction and do a variation or think of a different way to resolve it because you know we can secretly know around the room that the judge got it wrong but we're not going to waste any more of our time our clients money or time on it no i think that's one of the things that's often difficult for people to understand as clients particularly if they haven't got the money to fight an appeal when they feel as though they should and to embrace the creativity that we sometimes come up with when looking at other options and other ways of dealing with things rather than appeal. Well, I really admire your honesty about um, this point about mistakes and getting things wrong. Is there anything else you want to say? Oh, well, I just, I know some people read out poems and things. I just thought I'd read out a, um, a quote from someone called um, D. Waldeck, which is, there are no failures if you learn and grow from your mistakes, there are only lessons learned. And I think that's a really good thing to bear in mind. And it, it, we, we come back to where I started at the beginning. It's all about perspective. You probably haven't made a mistake that's insurmountable. You haven't got it completely wrong. It's just a learning opportunity. Katie, I've loved talking to you this afternoon. As ever, you bring an interesting and different perspective to our lives, thoroughly enjoyable. <laughs> And uh, really looking forward to the next time we meet on the podcast. But thank you so much. Thanks, Suzanne. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Women in Family Law podcast. Our theme music is Low Tide by Sam Hare, found on Spotify please visit our website, womeninfamilylaw.net or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WIFLAW and follow, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts.